Welcome to Osteopathy Unplugged. I'm Steve Paulus Dio. And I'm Bonnie Gintis Dio. We're American osteopathic physicians, and we're a married couple devoted to the practice and the study of osteopathic medicine. We developed Osteopathy Unplugged out of our passion for osteopathy and the recognition that our profession needs a more intimate conversation about who we are and what we do. Join us as we sit in conversation, talking about the inner and outer workings of osteopathy. Welcome to Episode 18, Where to Start or Not Start an Osteopathic Treatment. This episode is part of our Practice of Osteopathy series, where we will explore issues relating to the pragmatism of osteopathic practice. Of course, we'll interweave osteopathic philosophy and treatment principles into each of these episodes, and at the same time, we want to give you pearls of wisdom that you can use immediately in your office. Before we begin, I want to cut to the conclusion and say that there is no one way to start or finish an osteopathic treatment. We want to have this conversation to encourage you to be thoughtful, have intention, and to choose where to start your treatments and not just do what you usually automatically do. If you don't pay attention to how and why you do things, you might waste time, energy, and not be of the best service to your patient's therapeutic process. We want this episode to be an inquiry into the many possible ways to answer this question. And remember that the answer is less important than continuing to ask the question because it may change from moment to moment, from patient to patient, or for a wide variety of other reasons over your practice lifetime. Steve likes to take things apart, look at them closely, and then put them back together. Okay, Steve, how are you going to take this topic apart? Okay, before I deconstruct this question, I'd like to relate to our listeners a personal experience. Let me lay the foundation before I reveal the punchline. <laughs> Hardly anyone ever asks the simple questions. Often, the simple questions yield the most interesting answers. If a question is too broad or open-ended when you are looking for a specific response, then the answer can become a tangential tangle of disconnected data points. That's a mouthful. <laughs> There's an art to asking great questions. Great questions can be simple or complex. All categories of great questions invite others to open up about themselves or their work. Complex great questions allow others to broaden their thinking and challenge held beliefs. But it's the art of asking the simple question at the right time that is a unique skill. That skill often needs to be combined with an element of pluck. I've been meditating for over 40 years. I have worked with dozens of meditation teachers from a variety of traditions. I have a favorite question that I always ask at a meditation class or a retreat during the question and answer session. I ask, what is the goal of meditation? This question always elicits a whiplash reaction from everyone in the room. Nearly every attendee rapidly turns their head in my direction, presenting a wide variety of facial expressions. The surprise for many participants elicits antipathy, impatience, or annoyance. I commonly get the look of, how dare you waste my time with such a ridiculous question? Or the look of, what a stupid question. And a lot of eye rolling. You bet. Most of the looks I get are negatively judgmental, and only a few are encouraging. 
I love these moments. I do too. I don't feel the need to be courageous in these situations because I'm not afraid. I'm curious at many levels. I want to know how accepting the workshop participants are. Is this a snobbish group or a curious group? I then wait until the break to see how many people come up to me to thank me for asking the question they have always been afraid to ask. Most of all, I love the response or reaction from the teacher. The best teachers answer the question with graciousness and cleverness. The worst teachers retort with anger or exasperation. How a teacher answers the simple questions determines the presence or absence of humility and the depth or lack of depth of their knowledge. And I think a good teacher looks at you and can feel into the question you're asking and they and they want to play and go deeper with you. That's because I, great teachers know how to read the room. Right. I've seen that happen and it's beautiful when that occurs. But I mostly it doesn't happen. I, unfortunately, that's true. So interestingly, I've asked the same meditation teacher this same question at different retreats and get a different answer. I love this question. <laughs> One equivalent question in osteopathy is where to start or not start in osteopathic treatment. I love to ask this question at osteopathic conferences to teachers, friends, acquaintances, colleagues, and to new people that I meet. For a few, it initiates a great conversation. For most, it generates awkwardness. The standard reply is, I've never thought about this before. I've realized that many DOs just don't think much about the details of their work. Most think a lot about technique, and a few consider the depths of philosophy or osteopathic principles most osteopaths are great clinicians, but they don't know why. Mm -hmm. I like to know why my work is effective and why I've always had success and a busy practice. I want to know what it is I'm doing well and endeavor to discover what I'm not doing well so that I can make the necessary changes to do it better. I'm a teacher, and to teach requires that I take my worldview of osteopathy and organize it and then present it in a way that DOs can access and use effectively. I think a lot about osteopathy. I'm constantly strategizing about how to become a better and more effective osteopath. So deconstructing an osteopathic treatment is a valuable instruction tool for anyone who takes my workshops. Bonnie and I have collected a comprehensive list of 13 possible starting points for an osteopathic treatment. We will end this episode with a parallel discussion of where not to start an osteopathic treatment. We have 13 different possible starting points. All are acceptable. There's no wrong answer. There's only effective or less effective. There's only the honoring of tempo for this individual patient. There's only paying attention and not just engaging habit because it's easy. If we have forgotten any situations, please leave a public comment on our Patreon page or post a comment on Facebook. Okay, let's get started with where to start an osteopathic treatment. Okay, number one, treat the body part closest to the door. Okay, this might sound like a joke, <laughs> but we are serious. I told this story in episode 15 in response to a different but similar question. You might want to go back and listen to that. But it's a great way to start this conversation, too. In 1983, I was a student, and I did a rotation with Dr. Tony Chila, who had just started teaching and seeing patients at the very busy clinic that was run by Ohio University College of Osteopathic Medicine. In the clinic, he worked out of two or sometimes three treatment rooms all at once, 
often seeing four patients per hour. The staff would put patients in a room, and he would go from room to room seeing them very efficiently. And what you need to understand to picture this situation is that each treatment room was slightly different. They were all arranged differently depending on their size and shape and how the furniture was and whether there was a window or not, and most of them were very small. I spent two weeks observing him and assisting him, all the while trying to decipher his approach. We would enter a treatment room, and the patient might be in any number of positions. They could be sitting on the treatment table, lying down, prone, or supine. Sometimes they were even standing. After two weeks of not being able to figure out how or why he began his treatments in so many different ways, I asked him what the reasoning was behind the way he started a treatment, and his answer surprised me. He said something like this. I walk in and start with the body part closest to the door. I don't have time to ask the patient to change positions. The body is all connected. I don't think it matters where you begin. He was aware of his approach. He had thought about and considered it deeply. He was being consciously efficient with the time constraint the institution imposed on his treatment style based on his sense of the connectedness of the entire body. Okay, I have to interject something. Okay, what? And I know we've talked about this before. You told me this story when we first got together um, 27 years ago. And of course I believed you, but at osteopathic conferences, I had decided to go around and talk with other people who had trained with Tony Chila to try to corroborate your story. And what's shocking is that what you say is true. Absolutely. I talked with six different people who worked with Tony Chila at Ohio University, and they all said the same thing. Tony said that he always starts with the body part closest to the door. This is not something that you just made up. This no, is I, something that other people have experienced. I think I was one of the few people who came out and asked him how he decides where to start. But I think... Uh, uh, I'm I not think sure he realized, about that. Well, I think he realized it was a great teaching tool. And if somebody didn't ask the question, at some point he decided to tell them his uh, It's his one approach. of the great stories to tell about Tony Chilo. And is. those of us who know and love him, this is one of the best. Yeah, he died a couple of years ago and it was a great, a great personal loss for me and he, a loss to our profession. He was a great man and a great osteopath. Right. All right. Here are some questions for our listeners. How much of your style is imposed by the size and shape of the room or the time span that defines the beginning and the end of your treatment? How much of how you begin is habit? And not that habits are bad. I want you to ask, is this a useful habit? And if it's not, how might I refine it? Are you on autopilot and you just don't even think about it? Or perhaps you're new in practice and you're too inexperienced to really know any other way than the way you were taught in your school. So if you're new in practice, this episode is for you. Here are a few more ideas of how to begin. And I'd love for you all to just play around with these and consider if they work for you. The episode you've been listening to just faded out because you are not yet a subscriber to Osteopathy Unplugged. Please visit patreon.com osteopathyunplugged and become a subscriber in order to have full access to the rest of this episode as well as the complete collection. We have created a set of foundational episodes that will be available for free for everyone. These teachings provide an introduction to osteopathic clinical philosophy. 
However, the full versions of all episodes are only available through Patreon. Access Patreon through their app or through a browser page. Thank you for listening to Osteopathy Unplugged. And thank you for your interest in the osteopathic experience. Until next time, be well, listen deeply, and stay curious.